Alexa, play that Amazon ads podcast. Which one would you like to hear? The best one. Okay, now playing that Amazon ads podcast. These gentlemen are completely changing the game. After listening to that Amazon ads podcast, my ads are finally profitable. I also heard they're pretty cute. Hello, hello. Welcome back to That Amazon Ads Podcast. Joined here by Andrew. Andrew, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, my house uh, today, the AC stopped working and it's like 80 degrees outside. So I'm dealing with that a little bit. So if I start sweating on this episode, it's not because I'm nervous. Although no, maybe I am Andrew's a little bit nervous. nervous. No, you always know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which we're actually doing... Um, we're, we're oh, actually, I'm just going to apologize in advance if my audio sounds bad. We've been having a lot of issues with uh, Riverside, our podcast hosting. So apologies in advance. But Andrew, episode six today, uh, by your request from the last one, you wanted us to talk about campaign structure, uh, an important topic. And what do you think? I mean, wh- why is this an important topic? Or why even talk about this in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because it seems like there's a lot of confusion in the space about like what what's the best, what's the best practice, um, what's ineffective, what doesn't work, all that type of stuff relating to a lot of debate, too. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of debate around this topic. So I thought it'd be a good topic for us to kind of break into and give some of the nuance and some of the discussion around it that I feel is lacking uh, right now. So yeah, that's why I really wanted to bring it up. I think we have a really special episode. We're going to be talking about the bad and ineffective campaign structures that we see all the time in our audits that we do of accounts of, um, you know, people who are doing big sales. Um, and then we're going to break out, you know, our personal best practice or best opinion, you know, on on campaign structure. And then, um, yeah, we'll give you give you some good insights there to take back into your accounts and uh, revamp your whole structure. Yeah. And also, Andrew, are you aware of how many uh, podcast subscribers we have on YouTube? Actually, I have no idea. I haven't checked. I think it's like it's like close to like 10, 20. I don't know, something like that. Not yeah, enough. I'll tell you that. <laughs> definitely not enough. We are, I think last I checked, we were around 20 in the low 20s. I, the reason why I say that is because, you know, this is this podcast takes a lot of time for us. So hopefully it's valuable to you guys. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. I was trying to think of like a number. If we don't get to a hundred subscribers by episode ten, we nip it in the bud, and we just think it's not. So we're not. We're putting in too much time, and nobody's appreciating it. So it, that's our goal. <laughs> get us to a hundred subscribers it, in between this episode and number ten, or uh, we're pulling the plug. Is that a is that a threat or a promise? I I, I kind of hope it's uh it's just a threat because I love this man. I'm having a good time doing this. Oh, okay. It's whatever is whatever gets to 100 subscribers. That one. Okay. 100's right. a, a realistic, I think. Yeah, maybe. Okay, we'll see. But we did get we did get some comments on some of our YouTube videos, which I am excited about. People asking some really good questions. We are going to make it our objective to answer all of these questions. We're we're going to answer them certainly on the on YouTube. You know, we'll, we'll reply to you guys, but also. Well, if we see a question that's particularly, we think, uh, I'm sure a lot of people were also asking this, we'll, we'll call them out on the podcast. So Andrew, I'm going to throw the first one to you. 
This one came from Rebecca. I'll uh, I'll just kind of let you you answer how you see fitting. But these, I think these two questions came from our the episodes around bidding. So Rebecca said, "Thank you for the video. I'm looking forward to learning more." I had a quick question: How long do you let an ad sit and accumulate data after launching it before going in and adjusting the bids? It seems like with Amazon's delay and accounting for sales, it can be hard to determine if the ad is doing well without waiting one to three days. Are there other ways around this or do you launch it and let it sit for three days and then optimize it? Thanks again, Rebecca. Okay, good question, Rebecca. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of people ask this type of question before. Uh, my personal opinion, and I'm gonna approach this a few different ways, but um, you're asking if there's a way to you know, determine in, in under one to three days, whether you should be making changes to your campaign. I think that it depends on what goes into your setup process, number one, like how, how your bids are set. You'll be able to get a good read on whether your bids are set too low or you're spending too quickly in the first one to three days. Um, sometimes even in the first day, just depends. Um, but usually the main thing people are looking for is, is like that attribution window, right? Like Amazon has a 14 day attribution window. Like, am I going to be able to make sound decisions based on those one to three days of data? Like all our, our sales going to be attributed, things like that. Um, again, it depends. But uh, typically what we see in most accounts is that within within three days, you usually have, you know, 80 to 90 percent of sales attributed um, in most accounts. So you can start to make some decision making around, you know, three days. I think that's a good number to to kind of get a good feel of, of how that campaign is performing, which you know targets are doing doing good and which ones are not. It gives you a little bit more data confidence. It gives you more time to collect some more click data and, and just see you know overall how that how that campaign or that ad is performing. So um, typically, when I'm launching campaigns, I'll launch them. I'll keep an eye on it and watch it. If I need to make interventions within the first three days, I do. But rather than that, I, I typically would I would rather let it run for a while, generate some data, give me some good good things to, to optimize against, um, and then start making decisions. I usually don't see like a huge need for making you know optimizations in that first day, but just kind of depends. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree with you there. I typically will give it you know four to five days or something before really jumping in and optimizing or, or making adjustments. However, I'll certainly keep an eye out for red flags. Like you can catch red flags within the first couple of days. And I, I certainly think your budgets, your campaign budgets are gonna be your your best friend here because we we don't necessarily wanna jump in and if, we, if we're not seeing sales immediately, we don't wanna just jump in and close everything because these sales can come in through in the next 12, 24, 48 hours. So, but you do wanna like minimize the amount of spend, right? If you're, if you launched this campaign and you spent $10,000 yesterday and you didn't see any sales come through, you know, that's obviously not great. So certainly utilize those budgets to kind of limit, okay, for this next week, I'm going to invest $50 or $100 in this campaign for the week. You know, let that, so you'd set your, those daily budgets a little bit lower just to kind of control the, the total investment while you collect that data. And then after you've, you've given it a few days to let that uh, attribution settle, then you can, you know, make some more adjustments. So good question, Rebecca. Andrew, what was the, the second question that we had here? Yep. We got a question from Wakar. He says, great learning video about bidding optimization. I have a question. Is it possible if we reduce the bids according to RPC model, which is just that revenue per cook model, which we've been talking about, and our impressions decrease and we lose visibility? 
What should we do in this scenario? So that's a great question, Okara. Thank you. Yes, it's not just possible that if we reduce our bids, you will reduce your impressions. It's probably likely. <laughs> and I think that's perhaps one reason why people uh, might shy away from the revenue per click model because they think it it reduces their bids and they lose visibility. However, I think uh, there's a few things we have to keep in mind here. Number one, we're reducing the visibility because we can't afford the visibility, right? The based off of how much revenue we're averaging with each click that we get, if the cost of each of those clicks is beyond our profitability margins to a point where we're actually losing money on those clicks, we simply can't afford it. So that's a bit of a, a business decision rationale that says, yeah, it, it's a bummer to not win these keywords, but I can't afford it. You know, it's it's out of my affordability range. Like I don't go out and buy a Lamborghini to get more impressions for my life, <laughs> to get more eyes on me because I can't afford it. That was a, probably a really stupid analogy. But the point being, you can't necessarily afford everything. Now, if there is a keyword that you're particularly trying to rank for and you're saying, you know, it's very important that we have visibility on this because we need to improve our organic rank and all that stuff. The revenue per click model still works. You just need to raise your target A cost for that keyword, right? Because if typically your, your target A cost is around 30%, but this keyword's a VIP keyword, it's very high volume, very competitive, and you need it for your organic sales to, uh, to make, remain lifted. On that keyword itself, you just have to raise your target A cost. So rather than going for 30%, because you know that you're not gonna be competitive enough if you're trying to, to skate by with a 30% ACoS, you'd have to raise that ACoS on that keyword to a new threshold that you think is worth investing. Maybe it's 100% ACoS. You're willing to invest 100% uh, of all your ad revenue into uh, spend for this keyword to maintain that level of visibility. I still do think it's important to use some version of the RPC model, even for those high volume keywords, because obviously no one wants to have a million percent ACoS on a keyword just because they're trying to maximize visibility as much as they can, right? You don't want to spend a million dollars to get a thousand in sales. Uh, that's that's not good business. So that would be how you navigate that scenario in which you're worried, oh, the revenue per click model, if I reduce my bids, I'm going to lose visibility. For those keywords, you just have to give them a higher target A cost. You will have to decide for yourself what that target A cost is, is going to be. Essentially, you know, you'll, you'll have to, figure out how much are you willing to invest in this product by, uh, how, yeah. And, and I think that that answers it. So good questions from Wakar and Rebecca. If you guys have any questions on any of these episodes, please do not hesitate to reach out to us, comment on LinkedIn, sorry, comment on YouTube, message us on LinkedIn. Very happy to engage with you. So without further ado, let us transition over to our campaign structure. All right, thanks for that, Steven. As promised, we're gonna be discussing a lot of different factors that go into campaign structure. First things first though, we really wanna just diagnose a lot of the, the problems and issues that we see in most of the accounts that we're auditing, things that people don't do uh, correctly or just doing things that aren't necessarily effective or long-term sustainable strategies. Um, and the first of those is 
and it's really funny that this is this is what we're bringing up and that we see all the time is because I've actually seen a lot of people on LinkedIn, even in the last like couple months, advocating for this um, in, in a certain capacity, which we'll talk about here in a second. But it's catch all campaigns. Um, we call them multiple product ad groups, where basically you are grouping all of your products in one single ad group, targeting all the same terms. So as you can see, uh, we have a single campaign, a single ad group. We have multiple products within that ad group, and the, all of those products are targeting the same keywords. So people call these catch-all campaigns, which is which uh, makes me think of uh, Pokemon. You know, we're we're not trying to catch them all, right? <laughs> we uh, we actually want to be a little bit more segmented than this. Um, let's talk about some of the the reasons why this is ineffective uh, and not a good long-term uh, structure for your campaigns. The first reason is data confidence and uh, data segmentation. With this particular setup, you have all of these products targeting all of the same keywords or a variety of keywords. Now you could say that you know oh, all these products in this campaign are you know the same kind of product. They're just like different colors or they're different sizes, and so they're going to have the exact same keywords. And that's all fine and that's great, uh, but. What if one of your keywords that you're targeting in this in this campaign is black T-shirt or red T-shirt or pink T-shirt specifically? And so you have, you know, all of your different colored T-shirts in the same ad group targeting pink T-shirt and you have a black T-shirt showing up on a, a pink T-shirt search. It's not super relevant. It's not what the customer is looking for. The conversion rates are likely going to be pretty poor for that product and you have no way of really optimizing and changing the bids on that particular keyword for that particular product. Um, so there, there's there's that lack of control between that product and keyword relationship that you that you don't have whenever you're using something like this. Also, you're not able to see which product converted on which keyword. So if you say had this run this auto campaign running so that you could harvest stuff for your manual targeting so you can get a little bit more efficient. You could still do that if you if you had uh, a manual campaign with the same products and you're just harvesting from that auto to, to manual. It's likely going to be simple, you know, pretty relevant, similar, but not hyper targeted like we're looking for and not super granular. So um, you're going to you're going to be pulling and harvesting keywords to you know a, a broader manual campaign, but you're never going to know exactly which product converted on which keyword and which search term. So if you wanted to get super targeted, you wouldn't have the ability to be able to do that. Um, I'm going to stop here. Steven, do you want to chime in on anything that I just, that I just mentioned? I have, I have one other thing that I want to say about this and, and why I feel like this is really ineffective. And, uh, but wanted to give you a chance to chime in here if you, if you have some. Yeah, I'll probably just add a couple additional thoughts to, to what you're already saying. The, the keyword product correlation is certainly a big one. So, particularly when it comes to the bids. So if you do have multiple products in this ad group, those products are likely going to be coming in at different price points. So let's just say you're, uh, what was the example I used a long time ago? I think it was lawn mowers or something crazy like that. But you know, if you have uh, push lawn mowers versus drive lawn driving lawn mowers, and you've got small ones and big ones, and they come with different engine sizes and everything, you might think, oh, cool, they're all going to be using the same keyword lawnmower 
So we can just throw them all in the same ad group because they, they're all relevant for lawnmower, but they're all going to be having different conversion rates for lawnmower based off of what's going on. And, and they're also not only going to have different conversion rates, they're going to have different revenues per clicks, revenues per click, revenue per clicks. That works. <laughs> they're going to have different RPCs. And for us, RPCs really are kind of the, the Northern star for performance because RPC is essentially just a combination of both conversion rate plus average order value, if you want to think about it that way. Because um, So something could have a lower conversion rate, but the AOV is really high, and therefore net has a higher RPC than something else with a better conversion rate, but a lower AOV. So that revenue per click is going to be, could be very different between the, uh, the lawnmower with a huge price tag versus one with a really low price tag. Or vice versa, you know, if if the product with the lower price tag, the conversion is just so dang good because perhaps it has a, a billion reviews, and the one with the higher price tag is a brand new product that has no reviews, you know, that's also going to be a, a big Im- make a big impact on the RPC per product. And we've already made such a big deal about how important bidding is and dialing in those bids to to yeah get that CPC proper, uh, and you're not going to be able to do that for each individual product keyword performance. So you might have some products do part extremely well with some keywords and others don't do so well. And unfortunately with this structure, you're not even able to analyze that. All you can do is you can look at your product performance and you can see, and I see this all the time, by the way, and we have some, some screenshots on this slide. If you're, if you're just listening in, um, nothing super important, but just, a, of a couple of accounts that we've audited where all of the campaigns were just titled catch all 2022 was the first top spending campaign. Second top spending campaign was just titled catch all. Next one was catch all type. We got catch all push, catch all fed. And that was the entire account structure. <laughs> and uh, and in one of those ad groups, uh, we see that there's, yeah, $13,000 of spend with or across 63 products. And if you were to click into those products and look at the, the separate performance, you're going to see the performance is all over the place. All of the products are going to have roughly the same CPC because they're all getting the same bid because they're all sharing it together in this one ad group. And each of those products, you're going to have some with crazy high A costs and some with crazy low A costs. And you might think, huh, this one that has, again, if your target, we're probably going to say target A cost 30% for this entire show. But if your target A cost is 30% and there's a product in there with 100% A costs for whatever reason, it's not converting well or the keywords aren't super relevant to it. There is nothing you can do in this ad group to lower that. You can try to lower on some keywords, but then you're going to be lowering those sales on the other products that were doing well, or you, yeah, or you can't try, you can't negate certain keywords from that product that were doing well. You know, if people were looking specifically for a driving lawnmower instead of a push lawnmower and this one, you know, that was, yeah, you can't negate that. So you just you lose a lot of control to get that one-to-one correlation between each product and each keyword. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what I what I, what I would add. The, the main reason for making sure that these ad groups are segmented by product. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Super important. Um, the only thing I was going to add to this, and I don't see anybody really talking about this, but just just the amount of visibility that you can gain for your brand as a whole by segmenting your products at an ad group level at a minimum is absolutely massive. Um, I've seen accounts that were structured with multiple product ad groups, transition um, 
to a restructure of single product ad groups and their visibility and overall impressions just skyrocketed. Yeah. The, the reason why that is, is because in a situation like this with multiple product ad groups, only one of those ads per query per mm-hmm. search can display on that uh, search result page from that particular campaign. Mm-hmm. So instead of having uh, multiple ad groups, let's say you had five different ad groups with one product in each of them and they're all targeting the same term. You could have up to five different placements on that single search result page. So you just basically 5x your overall visibility or possible total possible impressions that you can have on a search just by segmenting your products at an ad group level. Yep. And that can be huge for a brand. Overall, dominating a, a search result page like that, having your brand um, show up in multiple different placements and multiple different locations across those search result pages over and over and over again with every single new search that comes through on that, you know, on that whatever that search query is, that's massive. Um, and, and that's what you can achieve just with switching your product or your campaign structure to single product ad groups. Yeah, that is an excellent point. Uh, I've seen that happen there uh, when, I, when I was first getting going. Uh, and when I first, I learned that the kind of the hard way, I was trying to set up a, a brand defense campaign. And so I took all of my clients' products and I put them all in the same ad group. We were targeting all of our branded terms. And we were only ever able to win like one of the top two to three sponsored product placements. And so I just kept raising the bids, raising the bids. How come we can't get all, all, all of them filled? And it was because <laughs> only one ad per ad group was qualifying for the query. And so once we split them up into separate ad groups, then we we fully uh, defended the brand at the top for, for that top row. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon changes this in the next several months or years, because we know that Amazon's doing whatever they can to increase the amount of ad spend on their platform. So by, you know, if you're someone right now, it's, what is it? June 19th, Juneteenth. If anyone's listening to this in, 2020 it's also 2023 so if anyone's listening to this in 2024 (laughs) it could be that that is no longer the case that amazon lets you deliver uh all your ads within an ad group just because they're trying to increase the amount of spend and competition on their platform so would not be surprised to see that but at least at time of recording that is how it works so andrew another thing that i think is really important in terms of this structure setup is you know speaking of brand defense we want to, you know, how, how do you think about branded keywords and non-brand keywords in the same ad group? So let's say someone's, they're, they're saying, okay, this is going to be all of our, you know, we've got single product ad groups splitting everything up. We're, we're not, you know, doing that that sloppy structure, but their keywords within that ad group are, are kind of a combination of branded terms, non-brand terms. How do you think through that? I would say if you're not segmenting your campaigns by brand or non-brand, you are completely destroying your data. That overall segmentation between those branded keywords and those non-branded keywords is absolutely pivotal and vital to the success of your overall Amazon business and ad account. You gotta separate those two. Just drill that in your brain, separate brand, separate non-brand. Be sure to check your search term reports as well. Make sure that your phrase match or your broad match keywords within your non-brand campaigns aren't picking up branded terms because that can cause an overall inflation of of your metrics within your non-brand campaign. Like you might see a really high top of search conversion rate 
uh, for a particular campaign simply because of branded terms slipping through the cracks in those non-brand campaigns. So make sure that you're negating those branded terms within your non-brand campaigns, first of all. And second of all, make sure you're segmenting your campaigns at a tactic level. So between brand and non-brand and competitor, make sure you have a really nice delineation between those different targeting tactics. It makes for overall just ease of use and ease of navigation within the ad console. You can very quickly log in, come into your account, search for brand or search for non-brand or search for competitor, see exactly how much you're spending across your account within those different targeting tactics. Um, that alone is super valuable. But then you also get the the metric aspect of things, the data aspect of things where you're able to see the actual true performance of, of your brand and of your products in different tactical settings. So whether it be non-brand, you, you know, you see a lower ROAS or uh, lower conversion rates than you do on your brand, or you see, um, you know, good performance on competitor compared to some of your non-brand campaigns. So it's important to have that segmentation, uh, not only at single product ad groups, breaking your products up, but between your campaigns, having that segmentation of tactics. Yeah. So now that we've kind of talked about what not to do, let's start talking a little bit more about what to do. So Andrew, we've talked about this concept, single product ad groups can be abbreviated as SPAGs, I believe it originated in the uh, Google Ads shopping sphere where, uh, yeah, in Google Ads, people with, for, with shopping ads were able to put little products around. And I believe with shopping, Google Shopping, I'm not sure if it still is, but at least at the time when they first came out with it, it was all auto campaigns. And so they really liked separating their, their products into separate ad groups so that the indexation would not just lump them all together into the same indexation, but would be a little bit more specified in that sense. So Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about how that logic then carries over to Amazon? So with single product ad groups, this this is at bare minimum what everybody needs to be utilizing within their Amazon ads account. The big part of that we've already kind of discussed as we broke down what not to do and all of the limitations that you face with ineffective campaign structures like catch-alls and multiple product ad groups is basically the inverse of that. With Single product ad groups, you're able to uh, target and analyze every individual product's performance on its selected targets or its selected keywords. Whereas with you know multiple product ad groups, you can't see that. You're not able to make those correlations between uh, individual products and their targets. Um, so that allows you to break that out. You're able to find areas of opportunity where you can push spend a little bit more aggressively by having it separated by product. If something's not converting and you lower the bids, you're not lowering the bids across all of your products on that target. It's just the one that's not performing well. And then, you know, if one's if one of your products is performing really well on a search term, then you can raise the bids on that. And so you just have that level of control, right? Like you just you just have much more uh, specific control over where you're putting your products, where you're putting each individual product, um, and you're able to just make more informed decisions whenever you're able to. Dice, slice and dice your data to, to figure out what's working well for every individual product. Yeah. I think a good example of this might be something like, you know, let's say you're selling uh, a formal wear and you've got a selection of uh, suits, ties, vests, etc., And they're all pretty similar products. And perhaps you're uh, Perhaps you have a, a one product is a bow tie, another one is a bow tie with a matching vest. 
both of those are probably going to convert on the keyword bow tie. So someone's searching for a bow tie, the, the keyword's going to be in both ad groups. The only difference is that the bow tie that's just the bow tie might have a slightly higher conversion rate, but a lower AOV. And then the product that's the bow tie with the vest might have a, I mean, the conversion rate might be the same. Perhaps it's, it's a really good product or, or whatever. But the point is you're going to want to keep those separate because the, the bow tie bid, you're going to want to bid differently on that keyword, depending on which product it is. And furthermore, if when you are doing your search term harvesting into keywords, which we'll do another episode, talk about how do we harvest keywords and all that. Without that segmentation, if something converts on, you know, bow tie and vest or something like that, or a certain color bow tie, you don't know which product actually drove the sale on that search term with, uh, with Amazon search term reports. The only way to actually get the product to search term or product to keyword one-to-one -one correlation in your search reports is by segmenting out by these, these separate ad groups. Now, it should also be noted that at the kind of campaign level, when you have these multiple ad groups in there, there's a few different ways in which people think about structuring these ad groups. Sometimes people will do it where the, uh, the at the campaign, it's essentially your parent ASIN and all of the ad groups within are all the different child ASINs variations. And so, you know, if you're selling uh, a, maybe a series of shirts, if you're selling all these shirts, those that, that shirt, you know, at the parent, ASIN level, maybe it's just the, the specific design. And then at the child variation, it's different sizes, different colors. And so you can have your campaign is just saying, hey, here's this design. And then within that campaign, you've got all your different ad groups showing different sizes, different shades of colors. Each of those are going to have different keywords that are relevant to them, different bids. And so it is kind of important that you, you make sure that it's grouped in that sense. You're not just going to be having one campaign for your account and every single ad product in your whole entire account in that ad group or broken out into ad groups within that single campaign. So you do want your campaigns to be segmented a little bit by either parent ASIN or something like that. Essentially what we're trying to do is get all of the ad groups within that campaign should have pretty similar performance because they're all going to share the campaign settings. So the campaign settings are going to be things like dynamic up and down bidding, increasing bids for top of search, you know, whatever you, you set in those campaign settings is going to be applied to all of the ad groups. So you just want to make sure that that their their total kind of performance across the the product ad groups is relatively similar. Andrew, is there anything that you think you would add to that? No, no, you covered that really well. Um, yeah, how you group these things is super important. Um, a lot of times, uh, it, it kind of breaks out by client preference or something along those lines. Or product category is another one that I see a lot. People want to kind of have a really nice structure to their product categories so they can like come into their ad account and see, you know, if they like selling puzzles or something, like you can just type in puzzles and be able to see how, how you're doing across all your puzzles, things like that. Um, but yeah, that performance aspect of things is, is super important. Um, and I think that's, that's one area. Cause like, like I mentioned before, like people are saying single product campaigns are like the best, the best practice or whatever. And the biggest like argument that I hear is that you don't have number one specific budget controls at a product level, a product to product level, and your placement settings are impacting of a wider number of products whenever you're using single product ad groups. I guess maybe before we dig into that, we probably need to discuss what single product campaigns are, but we can, we can show you because we have a slide for that. 
Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, so the single product campaign structure is essentially what it sounds like. It's, it's just one product per campaign. So Andrew and I, we're, we're big, big advocates of the single product ad groups at a bare minimum. Like Andrew said, you should not have multiple products in, in an ad group. It's really going to mess you up. There are exceptions that 99% of sellers probably don't fit into, but you need to be using single spawn, single product ad groups. When it comes to single product campaigns, I think Andrew and I have pushed back against this by a little, by quite a bit. And I think it's just because of our experience with some really big accounts, which have thousands and thousands. I mean, I've worked with an account that had 400,000 products one time. And when you get to that level of number of products, trying to manage budgets, daily budgets for that matter, across thousands of campaigns, if you have thousands of products, and also keep in mind, each product's probably gonna have multiple campaigns because you're gonna have your manual targeting, your auto targeting, your, uh, yeah, manual targeting, some, your some people, brand defense. Yeah. Some people, yeah, you got brand defense. Some people do match type breakouts at single yeah. product campaigns. We talk 400,000 products. That's more than I've ever had to deal with, but I certainly wouldn't want that many single product campaigns. That's for sure. Well, and, and Andrew, the, the example, that or the, the one account that you and I were working on together, one of the issues was, you know, if we had a thousand single product campaigns that were focused on non-brand targeting, we had to negate. So there are a thousand auto campaigns that are all going after non-brand, which means we had to negate all of our own ASINs from those auto campaigns, which means we needed to add a thousand negative ASINs to the auto campaigns. So you have a thousand times a thousand is a million. So now every time we download a bulk file, there's at least a million rows on the bulk file just for the negative keywords or the negative ASIN targets for all of those campaigns. And unfortunately we can't tell Amazon not to include those negative keywords on yeah. the bulk file. Maybe one day. Yeah, so so our, our Excel files are now over a million rows. Like a, a million rows is the minimum <laughs> it will ever be because we have a thousand campaigns with a thousand negative ASIN targets. And then we have more than actually a thousand campaigns and you add in all of your actual targeting and it's just these, these sheets, man. <laughs> <laughs> these bulk sheets, man. Yeah. They get a little bit, they get a little bit tricky for sure. I think like, I, I mean, I put up a post on LinkedIn today talking about this and I was just like, I, I hear everybody saying, you know, best practice is single product campaigns. And I get it. I understand you want to have that budget level control at the product level. You want to have those placement settings hyper specific to that uh, specific product and the metrics of that campaign and not have it be, you know, saturated across a, a wider array of products. But I and I understand that. But you put the you put single product campaigns like that. That many, like the example you're talking about, we, we only had like 5,000 campaigns or something. It wasn't crazy, crazy, crazy. Like it would, like it could be, but you put single product campaign account in the hands of somebody that is not a like competent ad manager. That's going to be a nightmare for that person. Guarantee it. Yeah. I'm just agreeing with you. I didn't have any thoughts to add there in case if you wanted to uh, expand. <laughs> no, I, I, I just want to just stress that like it's, it's important to have a the ability to manage whatever campaign structure you're you're given, right? Like, like if you come into an account and it's got 
multiple product ad groups, you need to know how to best uh, manage that situation. If it's single product ad groups, you should know how to manage that. If it's single product campaigns, single keyword campaigns, you should be able to adapt your strategy based on what you're given and, and like the current state of the account. And you should know how to create a tailor fit strategy per account. Like mm-hmm. if you got an account that had 50,000 products or 400,000 products, like you were saying, you should be able to use your brain and be like, I'm not going to use single product campaigns or single keyword campaigns for all of these products. I may not even need to set up campaigns or set up ad groups for all of these products. You know, like it's, you gotta, you gotta use some, some reasoning and approach each account with sort of a custom mindset in mind. Right. I think Mm -hmm. that people get hung up on like, ah, it's gotta be this or this and it's black or white. And I like to play in the gray, right? Like I like to, you know, adapt and, and use different strategies, use different pieces of the puzzle and and mold them into something that's custom fit for every individual account. So I think I think single product ad groups are a bare minimum. I think single product campaigns have their place. I think single keyword campaigns have their place. And it's it's for you to know and be able to diagnose an account to be able to say, this is what's needed in this particular situation. That's where like the, you know, the cream rises to the top, right? Where you can um, confidently be able to navigate whatever type of situation and be able to deploy whatever type of campaign strategy and structure is, is going to be most effective for that account. For example, if you have an account with five products, it's a lot easier to manage single product campaigns. You have that ability yeah, you were probably yeah, I was teed just up about for that to one, give an you? example. Well, I was literally just about to say I worked with a client that had five products, but was spending between fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars a month because it was just very popular products, very competitive niche, and obviously you're going to go single product campaign because it's not that much work, and you do get that extra level of control. And you can imagine with a niche that competitive where one product is spending, you know, yeah. When you're spending six figures in ads on just five products, you can imagine it's a pretty competitive niche and you you want to be pretty dialed in. Yep, yep. And that's just an important distinction to make, you know, got to know what to use and when to use it. I like that though. Play in the gray. That's a pretty good line. I'm going to use that sometime. Yeah, you can steal. It's not trademarked yet or anything. Did you actually make that up or you heard that somewhere? Well, I, I don't know. I just think people are, are just like black and white. Like everybody's like, this is right and this is wrong or this is wrong and this is right. It's like, le- like maybe it's in between somewhere. Like, have we explored that opportunity ever? Like, yeah. let's let's maybe, you, also, you know, <laughs> you read a lot of self-help out. books. So maybe you, learned, you picked it up in one of those things. I would say probably probably got it from there. You should write a self-help book. I don't know. Nobody would really want to read that. Dude, the title we'll play, in the, play in the gray play in the cray. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'll come up with some more and throw them down in a book. Yeah, make sure you get Andrew's book next year when he publishes it. <laughs> All right, so now we'll we'll talk a little bit about how to group campaigns. So this is uh yeah, so I think actually with this title I, I think we probably messed up. I think we, we we're not talking about how to group campaigns together. We're we're talking about uh, how to group products in campaigns. So if you are having to, if you are deciding to, to put multiple products into a campaign, albeit splitting them up between separate product ad groups, that would pro- that's a good default for anyone. I, I would say if you have over 20 products, 
in an account, certainly if you have over 50 products in an account, I would, I would think it's easier to, to group the products together into campaigns at a certain level. So essentially here are the four things that you want to think through when, when setting up a campaign saying, okay, is it okay for me to group all these products together in this campaign? Or should I be splitting these out to uh, greater segmentation, perhaps instead of doing, you know, to use easy math, let's say you have 20 products altogether and you're saying, okay, should I have five campaigns with four products in each campaign? Or maybe I do 10 campaigns with two products in each campaign. You know, when you're trying to figure out by what level you want to get segmented by, the things that you have to keep in mind are what does the campaign offer you? Because that's essentially, you want to make sure that there's there are certain settings these campaigns have, and you want to make sure that all of the products within that campaign are on the same page. So one of those is going to be budgets. If you do have a certain budget for a specific line, like let's just say you you launched a new product line, there's a couple variations of it, and you have a set budget to invest in that product line. It's like you got $5,000 for this month to put into this product line. That would be a good example of grouping all those products into one campaign because they're all, they all have a, a certain budget that you have to get through. The other one is placement settings, which on later episodes, we'll talk more specifically about how to dial these in. But the short version of it is that products will perform differently between where they appear on the search page or on product pages. So if a product appears at, you know, the difference between a top of search placement to a bottom of search placement for some products, the conversion rate might drop by 50%. So you just want to have a little bit of uh, a little bit of data there that these these products have relatively similar conversion rates, particularly when they're when they're placed on different locations around Amazon. And then Andrew, why don't you walk us through the other two uh, reasons why people would group products into a single campaign? Yeah, yeah. So dynamic bid settings would be the next thing that we would want to look at and, and kind of segment our, our products based on. Um, if, you know, say, and, and it kind of ties into the next one, which is ACOS goals, but let's just say you have a little bit looser of, of a target or you're willing to be a little bit more aggressive and um, uh, you aren't as concerned about overspending on a collection of products, you may group those products together and have them set to dynamic bids up and down, as opposed to maybe your other campaigns, you're a lot more specific and you wanna get really targeted and you have to make sure that these bids are set appropriately to, to hit those ACOS goals. Maybe you use fixed bids or maybe you use uh, dynamic bids down only. So that's another piece of the puzzle that you may wanna consider when grouping these products is just the margins of these products, how, how uh, effective or how you want to segment those based on how aggressive you can be or want to be with your ad spend. Um, so those two kind of go together. Dynamic bid settings and ACOS goals um, could be a big uh, piece of how you might group these products if you're going to go that single product campaign route or single product to head group route. Yeah. So that's essentially how we think through setting up these campaigns, setting up these structures. The next thing that I do want to talk about is something. And of course there's there's really no end to all of the different ways in which people can set up these campaign structures. I've seen people segment, like you, you commented, Andrew, segmenting by match type, you know, so they're going to have only all of their broad match keywords in one campaign or their exact match in one campaign, or they're segmenting by amounts of search volume. These are the high volume keywords. There's really no end to it. What we are trying to get across is just here, kind of like the macro 
most popular methods. We're not going to get into all these super niche uh, strategies, but there is one that I think is worth addressing, which is the single keyword campaigns, which have been hotly debated. Andrew, why don't you walk us through kind of the, the points that we have here and give us your thoughts, your opinions on these single keyword campaigns. Yeah, single keyword campaigns. I've been seeing that a lot around LinkedIn. People love to say that every single keyword in their account is broken out into its own campaign, which is kind of crazy. I was actually just auditing an account the other day and I saw they were attempting to do this, but they were they were doing single keyword campaigns with like a hundred different products in one ad group. So they were like, Hey, out of these a hundred products, like one of these has got to work on this keyword. That just right? sounds like a <laughs> massive contradiction piece of hypocrisy. That's funny. It, it was really funny. I got a good kick out of it. And, uh, it was also just funny to see how mismanaged it was. It was like, you know, typically product pages don't perform very well. Uh, and Wait, this was this recently. Yeah, this was recently. This was just is like this that, in the last that week. one account you were, you were telling me about. Uh, yeah, the we, we, we won't say. Yeah, this is the audit. We won't say who it was. Obviously, that's not what we're here to do. But I will just say it that Coca Cola. Keep going. Ah, <laughs> yeah, Coca Cola hit me up. Uh, basically, they they had weird placement settings too. It was just like clear that the person who was setting this up like just heard this on LinkedIn. They were like, "Oh, single keyword campaigns. Like, let me try it out." And so they just did it. And there was like they had like a hundred percent increase for product pages and like a twelve percent increase for top Yikes. of search. And I was like, I was like, "What are you doing?" Like, <laughs> you know. Oh, so anyway. Like in the hands of an incompetent ad manager, I mean, you can certainly deploy these strategies and not get good results. So I think the the person steering and the person driving the the car is uh, arguably more important than the strategies that are being used. But anyway, all that to be said, single keyword campaigns. When are they good? When are they bad? Uh, what what type of reason reasoning would you have for uh, utilizing something like this? Um, typically what we see is single keyword campaigns are great whenever you're, you're getting, trying to get really specific on targeting a high volume keyword. I think that's a big, big distinction to make single keyword campaigns work best and are most relevant or effective, or, you know, just like most applicable whenever you're targeting a term that gets a lot of search volume. Um, the reason being is that you want to have a significant level of control over that over where your product's showing up on that keyword. And so this would allow you to get super specific and you could set your, you know, placement settings. If like you're really focused on driving a lot of top of search impressions, um, you could have, you know, increases for top of search for that product and make sure that that product is consistently winning placements, you know, at top of search for that keyword. Um, it's not as effective or useful for low volume keywords that, you know, don't get a ton of traffic and clicks and aren't making up a, a big portion of your spend or, or your revenue. Um, it, it just doesn't seem necessary uh, to break things out that granularly for something that isn't going to be getting a specific portion or budget of spend or um, isn't driving a huge impact to the account in particular. Um, it, you know, it just tends to be more just, I, I just keep coming back to it, more applicable to a, a long, uh, or a, a high volume search term because it's like, mm -hmm. that's the only term that you would ever need 
that level of control and specificity because mm-hmm. it's it's more value to your business, right? Like you don't need to break everything out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just that extra level of control that you can have with single keyword campaigns is great. Uh, love this for ranking campaigns when you're trying to rank a product on a on a particular keyword. It's it's super helpful to have that level of control, and it's arguably you know necessary to in order to be able to achieve you know specific results. Um, so that's that's typically how I think about single keyword campaigns. I think a lot of these things are are useful, um, and and you can have a base of single product ad groups or. Maybe if it's a smaller account, you can do single single product campaigns, but then like kind of layering these things on top of each other as you run your single product ad groups and, and you start to find like, what are the winners? What are the, the best keyword product relationships? You can maybe segment that out, break that out into another thing. So you have a little bit more control. And so like you can, I, I, like I said, custom approach, you, you can, you can pull these different levers. You can use these different strategies in tandem with one another. It's not like just one or the other. So anyway. Yeah. One thing that I have that I would, I guess would caution against is I've seen some people advocating for single keyword campaigns for all of the keywords in their account. And frankly, I don't even know how that's sustainable. Like Amazon has a 10,000 campaign limit, unless if you apply for exceptions. So I guess you, if you have fewer than 10, I mean, if you're trying to do single product campaigns and single keyword campaigns, you, you're basically just trying to do single product ad groups, but like at a campaign campaign level. I mean, if you have more than a hundred products, that's just going to be a lot of campaigns. I mean, it's going to be madness, man. But there's software tools that are built for it. (laughs) There's software tools that are literally built around this concept of single product, single keyword campaigns. So, yeah, I mean, the only main benefit that you get is in my, I mean, I think I think the main benefit is just the ability to control the placement settings for the keyword. Because otherwise, yeah, all of your campaign data is an aggregate. Your campaign placement data is an aggregate of everything within that campaign. Which, from what I've seen, it, like generally speaking, I've worked with a lot of accounts, a lot of different niches, um, lots of different match types and segmentations of campaigns. And generally speaking, it's pretty consistent that conversion rates are around forty to sixty percent higher at top of search. They're usually at top of search are 40 to 60% higher than they are on product pages or rest of search. And that's regardless of if it's brand defense or conquesting or whatever. Now, you know, going from brand brand defense to conquesting to non-brand, that doesn't mean the conversion rates at top of search are the same across those three, but it's saying for each of those three categories, the top search placements relative to other placements for each of those categories, the, the, difference in performance changes the, the, I'm doing such a bad job of saying this, the relative performance for each tactic changes by the same amount going from non top of search to top of search. And so it's pretty consistent within that 40 to 60% range, which is why I think it's okay to, to group camp multiple keywords in a campaign. Cause you're not going to get that much added value out of yeah, that, that special keyword placement one-to-one correlation, but I would make exceptions for the crazy, crazy high VIP keywords. You know, there was one account I was working on where, I mean, 99% of the traffic for this niche came from like one keyword. And yeah, that was obviously, we were going to put single product keywords 
or that one keyword was gonna have a single product campaign for that one keyword. And the brand only had had fewer than 10 products. So um, yeah, it was, that that's a pretty clear application. So I guess all this to be said, uh, we should now, I think, decide and tell everybody which, which campaign structure is the best. Definitively, end of day, Andrew, which one is it? End of debate? It depends. It really just depends. I know that's not the answer that you want to hear, but you know, it's just, just the reality of the situation. Um, there are different methods that work in different scenarios. You got to know how to use them all. You got to understand them all in order to be you know, competent and uh, a real expert in this field. But yeah, it just depends. Yeah, I think people get really, really opinionated with single product campaigns is the only way to go. And it's like, okay, it is until it isn't, you know, until you end up having, until it completely disables like any third party software you're connected to just breaks, Excel breaks, all these things. Like your, your, even your third party tools can no longer properly met. Okay. Yeah. Let's actually use this example. You have single product campaigns, single product keywords, whatever you have a jillion campaigns, but your budget, let's just say you're not supposed to spend more than $10,000 a day or $5,000 a day. Let's say 5,000. You're not supposed to spend more than $5,000 a day. That's kind of like your, your average daily budget to you know not exceed the client's budget. And you have over 5,000 campaigns. A $1 budget's the very bare minimum you can apply to these campaigns. So because you have so many campaigns, they're all, you know, can't have more than a dollar budget. Otherwise, you're, you know, if they have a $2 budget, then you you're, you have the capability of overspending your average daily pacing and, and exceeding your, what your client has allocated for the month for this thing. So that's like a big problem too with, with when you get hyperly segmented with these, like managing those budgets is, is an absolute nightmare. But on the flip side, you know, if you're in a scenario where it's kind of like budget is unlimited and you don't have a ton of, uh, as long as ACOS is good and you don't have a ton of um, products like that, you certainly can. So yeah, I, I think people shouldn't as well as we shouldn't be that opinionated on on which structure is the best. It really just does depend on the scenario. While we, I personally really try to die on that hill of single product ad groups at the, at the very least, I'll admit there, there are some, it's a very few exceptions, but there are some campaigns in which some, some accounts in which I did multi-product ad groups. And it was that account with 400,000 SKUs was one of them. Uh, I forget how many products I had in each ad group. I think I had around a thousand <laughs> products in each ad group. And that, yeah, I think that's how I, it was a long time ago. It was like 2019 or so, but I think I had like a thousand products in each ad group and then like a hundred ad groups in each campaign or something like that. And then I had like four campaigns. But the reason for that though, the reason for that was that each individual, I mean, this was like a massive, massive wholesaler that just wholesaled auto parts and any of those individual products only ever got like one or two clicks. Like it was very, very thin because they were just so many. So we actually were, we had to rely upon some of that aggregation between the products uh, to, to kind of, and, and yeah, to, we had, we could, if we were trying to be over segmented anymore, it would have been kind of impossible to really make any kind of data informed decisions. So there, yeah, I, I make exceptions for the multi-product, the MPAGs, multi-product ad groups. 
looking back now, would you have done anything different in that account, knowing what you know, you know, five years later, four years later? Yeah, I mean, of course, I, I would always, I would always do things a little different every year as I as I learn a little bit more. Uh, I think the ad groups probably could have been organized better. What I should have tried to do is find some way to to group the. Uh, also, I mean, I was like so new to this too, so I was I was quite a bit of a of a noob, so I didn't really know what I was doing. But yeah, those the product should have been grouped a little more similarly in those ad groups. I think yeah. I was a, a little too lazy, so I just was like. First thousand, boom. Next thousand, boom. <laughs> <laughs> you lazy. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do we have anything else to add here, Steve? Do we, do we want to go into anything else? Are we? Yeah, I'm just I'm looking over our notes, seeing if there's anything that we we missed here. You did call out that yeah, why why we like the uh, multiple ad groups version. Uh, you know, those is we do get the extra visibility. Obviously, the amount of ASINs that you're having is going to make a big difference. The keep, yeah, just the main things that you just have to really keep in mind is, at the end of the day, you're going to be the one managing it. So you want to put it in a structure that you want to work with. If you 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 have to make a decision on how granularized do you want your data to be. I'm not sure if granularized is a word. How granular do you want your data to be? You know, do you want that one to one keyword to product correlation? If you if if you're in a weird niche, so I, I have had, yeah, I, I've I've worked with an account that was a merch by Amazon account. It was a little bit similar. It had about 10,000 SKUs, um, a bunch of different designs and everything. And that one's a little bit, a little bit weirder because it's they're all kind of really really low data, and so we it does help us to have them aggregated a little bit. So the way for that is we do design is the campaign. So whatever the design is, that'll be the, the campaign, and then each of the ad groups. Is is this a hoodie? Is this a, a t-shirt? Is this a long sleeve t-shirt? Because those all come with different price points, and so that's important for us. Those different price points are going to create different AOVs, so that's super important for our bidding formulas and everything. That hopefully our listeners should know by now from episodes like two through four. But within each of those ad groups, you know, so it's like this design is funny t-shirts for Father's Day or whatever, and then you've got a hoodie, you've got a whatever, you know, all the different. Uh, pieces of clothing within ad groups. And then within each of those ad groups, we've got like 10 different colors, but they're all the same price. And so for those, you know, any of those, you know, ad groups is only going to get like, you know, 10 to 20 clicks a month for, for some of these super long tail keywords. So it's okay for me to have that aggregated across all of our different colors. So I would not advocate for a single product ad group structure there. Otherwise, all of my keyword data is going to be really, really thin. And very, if those 10 clicks in that ad group were spread out across, you know, 20 different keywords across 10 different products and 10 different ad groups, like you, you run into that issue. So that, so that's a, that's a good example of, of where I would make the exception to the rule of going with those multi-product ad groups. But yeah. Any, any final closing thoughts from you, Andrew? Nah, nah, those apparel, those apparel brands are always kind of like that, but uh, no, that's it. You've got a um, merch by Amazon account, don't you? You're doing yeah, your own designs. How's I do, going? I do. I've had it, it for a long time. Uh, is, it make, is it making some good cash flow for you? Or is it kind of just not? Doing I mean, it, it's been sitting there generating, you know, passive income, so I can't complain. But it's not huge, you know. It's nothing. It's not ten thousand SKUs. How much time do you spend on it a month? You think? Zero. Oh. One hour, maybe. Nice. <laughs> Haley manages most of it. You just collecting paychecks. My wife manages most of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, she manages it. She manages the ads. Uh, she keeps me in the loop every once in a while. Lets me know what products are taking off, what what we're spending, and uh, yeah, she she does a good job of it. So I don't spend any time on it. But it's nice to have. I'm glad that I set it up when I did uh, back in like 2018 or something. It was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, it's been fun. Nice little nice little passive passive. Well, if you ever need help there, but, with, if you ever need like an account manager to run the ads for you, I know a guy. Oh yeah, run the ads. Really yeah. good. Really yeah. smart. Me too. I know a guy. He'll do it for free. (laughs) Yeah, it's me. Cool. All right. We've got Prime Day coming up. So we'll be doing an episode to give you guys a little bit of uh, some strategy around Prime Day, what to do. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening in. If you have any questions about single or uh, campaign structure, please leave comments below in our YouTube video. And we'll do our best to reply to you as well as call it out if you think it's a particularly interesting question. All right. Thanks for listening in and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace.